This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles and let's go again to Isaiah chapter 9. One of those, pardon the expression, a classic prophecy text that points to our Savior's first coming and then ultimately the effects of that first coming that would happen then with His second coming and His ultimate reign over the universe forever, where all things, again, are brought under His authority. Now, I'm thankful that God is providence. Providence means to pre-plan, and as we think about our Lord, He has the power to pre-plan no matter what rebellious hearts or His satanic enemies are up to. So they devised their plan. Psalm 2 says the nations rage, the heathen imagine vain things, empty reasoning. We're going to somehow throw God out of our lives. How ridiculous. But no matter what they do, God has already planned to counter that, and His plan cannot fail. It can't fail. And so the Lord had a plan in eternity past that when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3 of Genesis, the Lord gives that protevangelium, that first pronouncement of salvation, that the seed of the woman, virgin birth, would crush the head of the enemy, Satan. And so Satan was determined at that point to cause that plan to fail. He couldn't do it. He can't do it. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. But that was predicted in Isaiah chapter 9 as the Lord speaks through the prophet. And so let's look at the text again. You'll remember that in the early verses, Isaiah talks about great darkness, and he's talking about the northern region of Israel, that area that when the kingdom split, the ten tribes in the north turned away from God. Jeroboam and the kings that followed, Ahab and the others. Now, there were bad kings in the south, too, but the kings in the north unanimously turned against God and worshiped false gods. And so when that happened, God sent invading armies in, first the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and they were the first tribes to be taken captive. And it was awful darkness. It was great darkness. And the darkness even got worse because what the Assyrians did is conquered peoples from other lands they brought into this northern region so that they would settle there and intermarry with and thus weaken the nationalism of Israel. And so this was already happening in Isaiah's day. The captivity had already happened up there. 
And this area became known as, and this happened right up into New Testament times, it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. And so again, verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness that was not, uh, shall not be as it was in the vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, there in the north, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations, or of the Gentiles. The people that walked in darkness, and we talked about how dark it was, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We took time uh, to talk about how dark that was. We looked at verse 3 and verse 4, and, and the, the, what is described there is as the darkness where there's not joy. Uh, verses 5, or verse 5, where it talks about uh, warfare and the confusion, the noise of warfare. And then it compares it to the days of Gideon, where the Midianites, uh, who were as numerous as grasshoppers, occupied that area. And so a warrior is needed, a conqueror is needed to come in and deliver these people. And what is God's plan? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A preexistent son is sent, is given. So God's great battle plan was a baby. Now, you're living in a time when people don't want to think about the baby. But here's the reality. That means they get to stay in darkness. Now, we've called to be salt and what? Light. So you penetrate that darkness with the light. So when you buy your Chinese Christmas lights, and somebody says, happy holidays. Brighten that spot. Merry Christmas. God sent his son. Do it with a smile. That'll wake him up. But be light. They're in darkness. You do realize that this is one of the primary times every year and the start of a new year, that people take their own lives. What's that mean? Forget the holiday cheer. They need light. They need hope. And that hope is in God's Son. So if you lived at this time, you wouldn't be looking for a child to be born. You would be looking for a mighty conqueror. But Isaiah helps us understand that a son is given, a son who pre-existed. Again, I want to quote for us John 1 and verse 1. Here is that son as he's introduced 
by John the Apostle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Can I just stop and say, share the light. You're talking to someone who's been made in the image of God. He gave them life, and with that life, he gave them light. Romans 1. They all know there's a creator. But they don't want to be accountable to that creator, and so they've got another theory. But when you communicate with them, your light can communicate with their light, the light that the Lord has given to them. The light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Later, John will say in verse 14, And the word was made flesh. Again, a son is given, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, later in the message, we're going to see Isaiah... The Lord says through Isaiah that he is father. We'll talk about what that means. But here John references that, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so a son is given. We looked at the fact as well then as we continue in the text, that the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government on his shoulder. Again, by way of review, monarchs on their shoulders would have emblems sewn into their garments, their kingly robes, indicating their authority. The Son of God is no different. Except we noted that his authority would come by way of a cross. And many times, monarchs would actually sew keys into those, those kingly robes. And that key indicated that when it came to authority, unlocking privilege, unlocking requests, access, if you will, that he has the key to be able to determine those things. He has the key of life and death. Amen. It's what a monarch does. But the Son of God, the one who was born in Bethlehem, bore on his shoulder one day outside of Jerusalem a cross. He died on that cross. And it's through that cross, then, that he has the authority. He's been given a name which is above every name. At that name, every knee one day will bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he says, and we saw this in Acts chapter 1, all authority is given to me. Now go ye. Well, when I'm out being light, I'm a little hesitant. I, I don't want to invade their privacy. Wait a minute. 
You've been given authority to speak for the name of the Son of God, to introduce His light to those who are without hope. So the government shall be on His shoulder. <coughs> now today we move on to these other names that are given. This is all of who He is. Verse 6 continues, And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew, those words go together. There is not a comma. All right? He is the Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean? Well, the wonder of His counsel reveals that He is all-knowing and He is unfailing in His wisdom. In fact, in the Scripture, we're told to go boldly before the throne of grace that speaks of unlimited power and enablement. But we go before the throne of grace to find what? Strength to help. All right? In time of need. And James tells us when we're before that throne then to ask, ask for wisdom. And he will give that liberally and, up, and upbraid not. So he's the wonderful counselor. He needs no advisors. Who can advise God? Well, no one can. Let me be personal. Have you ever tried to advise God? I'll confess I have. I'm supposed to be coming for help, but I'm telling him how I want him to help what I think he should do. Now, don't misunderstand. We ought to share our requests with the Lord humbly and always saying, Lord, thy will be done. We want your will to be done. All right? But he's the wonderful counselor. We come seeking his wisdom. When he was just a little older, 12-year-old boy, with his parents. Now they've moved back to Nazareth. He comes down with them. You'll remember that Jesus sat in the temple with the elders, the doctors of the law. And they are having an adult discussion. And they're marveling at his knowledge. Why? He's wonderful counsel. Later, he would leave Pharisees speechless. And other, others would testify, no man spake as this man. The songwriter says, and there has not failed one word of all his promise. What he has spoken, he has done just as he said. Those who follow his wonderful counsel receive healing and freedom, and his word is a light unto their pathway. He's wonderful counselor. By the way, he has spoken to us through his spirit in this book, in this infallible book. If you want light and counsel, you must follow what is in this book. The wonderful counselor now lives in you by his spirit and the Lord has promised 
that he will guide you into his word, his light, his counsel. So when your mind begins to trouble you, when you're not sure how to go forward, there's a simple answer to what you need, and that is turn to the wonderful counselor. What has he said? What should you do? By the way, as you seek for that answer, and that answer may not be coming to you, there is still an answer in the Word of God, and it's this. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just wait on Him. As you're waiting on Him, He's not going to let your world fall apart. But He says, if you seek Me, you will find Me if you seek with all your heart. In faith, believing. So, He's wonderful counselor. Next, his name is Mighty God. These are all his names. They, they're uh, characteristics of his being, his person. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Now, don't miss the fact that the Son who was sent is Mighty God. Again, I referred earlier to uh, some of the amazing, almost incomprehensible truths of what happened in the Christmas story. Songwriter again said, Mary, did you know when you looked into the eyes of your baby, you were beholding the face of God. Mighty God. Isaiah predicted that he would be the divine. Jesus himself claimed deity. John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me? I'm sorry, not Thomas, Philip. He that hath seen me hath seen who? The Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus prevailed against all his enemies, both human and demonic. And he has destroyed our greatest enemies. As the mighty God, Jesus then is also everlasting Father. Now we know, we believe in a trinity, a triunity. Three persons of the Godhead. Now again, darkened minds, like those in Islam, the cults, how can there be three gods? We worship one God. No, we worship one God in three persons. And he is so mighty, he can be one God in three persons. All co-equal. And so in that sense, as deity, Jesus is everlasting Father. Now, this also implies everlasting with the Father, but one with, co-equal with God. Now what a marvel. And that brings our minds to the humiliation that the child born in Bethlehem was the son given, who is equal with the father who sent him. 
He made himself of no reputation. He knew who he was. He knew he was God and is God. And so he wasn't seeking just that praise. He is who he is. But he came at the will of the Father to win our salvation. The child who inhabited eternity with his father now lives in our hearts. I'm not suggesting he was a child in eternity, but he became a child. But the one who became a child now lives in our hearts. The creator who is blessed forever now inhabits his redeemed creatures. Every once in a while, it will do you well to remember you were created. By the way, what did God use to create you and me? Dirt. Mixed with clay. He is the master sculptor, but we're dirt. And I've shared this with you. I heard a message one time. Preacher said, we're glorified mud balls. <laughs> Never forgotten that. Dust, and when I die, to dust. Oh, I'm, I'm so big and mighty. No. No. But he is great and mighty. The everlasting Father. But... The one who is equal with the Father, who is God, became, not being irreverent, he became dirt. Wait a minute, Pastor. You mean his flesh was like our flesh? If you cut him, he bled. He hungered. He was thirsty. He knew illness. Now, once again, our flesh has trouble understanding that. If Jesus had remained in the grave, what would he have become? Dust. But he didn't really stay in the grave. Amen. Three days later, he rose again. He was given a glorified body by his Father. And he sits in human form at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. And who sits at the right hand of the Father? Everlasting Father. Now I'm going to move on because I cannot give any more explanation. But the Bible is true and that is who our God, our Savior is. Lastly, his name is Prince of Peace. We want to take some extra time with this this morning because we're living in a time when there is no peace. And where there is peace, those who live in that peace understand it's really fragile. Now, I'm not a news junkie, but I keep up with the news because God's called me to be an under-shepherd of a flock. I need to know what's going on. Plus, 
I'm the father and a grandfather of some great kids, and I lead an amazing wife. But this is not a safe world. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There cannot be peace here when there is great wickedness. They cannot coexist. And so I check the news just to see what kind of crazy is happening now. And whatever I can do to be aware and, if need be, respond. But I'm so thankful as an alien living on this earth right now, I'm so thankful I know the Prince of Peace. He lives in my heart. He lives in your heart. Again, Prince signifies the ruler of something. He rules lasting peace. He controls it. He cannot lose control of it. So even on this planet, if you admit to God that you're a sinner and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you literally do receive Him. He comes to live in you by His Spirit. You receive the Prince of Peace. And when He comes into you, you become part of His kingdom. And the reality is you have peace here that nobody can take away. He's in your heart. He rules in your heart. And the only way anything that is not of peace comes into your heart is if you turn your back on him and you start serving this flesh again. It's the only way. Because where he is in control, he is the ruler of peace. All his work as God and man combined to make him prince of peace. He is not just the author of peace, but the dispenser of peace who rules by peace. His rule always results in peace and blessing. This is why Isaiah 9, 7 says what he does. Look at it. Of the increase of his government and peace... There shall be no end. If somebody can take the peace away, then they're, they're, it was only a temporary peace, and whoever won the peace really didn't win the peace. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus shouted on the cross, it is finished, it was a victory cry, he won our peace. Peace with God. Peace that no one can take away. Of his peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. For those of us that only know temporary peace, peace that's been won in Europe by our armies, the South Pacific, the Middle East. We all wonder, how long is it going to last? But where King Jesus has conquered, it's lasting peace. 
And what's behind it? Notice the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God is almighty, but when he is zealous through his power to accomplish something, nobody changes it. That's the point. So where he brings peace, it is permanent. Say it with me. Permanent. Say it again. Permanent peace. Now Paul presents Jesus the same way in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. I hope that in this text, maybe even in the, on the side of this text in your Bible, you'll write Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. Here's what it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Far off is a reference to away from the light and in darkness. Have made, been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then it says this, Paul writes, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and in the context, both speaking Jews and Gentiles. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, Well, I wasn't uh, raised in a religious home. I can't have that peace. It's not what God says. Well, I, you don't understand, Pastor, the things I've done. I'm too sinful. No, you don't understand that through the blood of Christ, you can know the Prince of Peace and He can be your peace. It's amazing that throughout the New Testament, whenever a problem is being dealt with, that an apostle, through inspiration, will appeal to the peace that we have in Christ. And, and I hope that you understand now they appeal to that because He is our peace, the Prince of Peace. And so they can appeal to peace because if there's anything happening in the church that is not of peace, it is not of Christ. He is our peace. So we don't have a problem with our king. He's having a problem with his subjects if there isn't peace. He's the prince of peace. And so the apostles warn us to do all that we can to maintain that peace internally and as an assembly. We're seeing this in the book of Acts, the peace that the gospel brings when people receive Christ. And that's what Paul is referring to. You, you were alienated from God. You hated each other. Jews, Gentiles, you hated each other. What makes the difference? When you know the Prince of Peace. Now let's be very practical here. Later in Isaiah 26, the prophet will help us understand what the Prince of Peace can do in our lives. Turn to Isaiah 26. And I want to encourage us, each of us, to memorize this text. This ought to be one of the bullets in your arsenal, okay? So when the fiery darts come in, you can raise the shield of faith and shoot back. Isaiah 26, notice verse 3. <coughs> Thou will keep him in perfect 
peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, that's the principle. Now, here's the admonition. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I want to encourage you, memorize verse 3. Now, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. That word stayed means to affix your gaze. Don't take your eyes off of him and continue to trust. Continue to trust. I remember the first time I went water skiing. I, uh, I drank a little water that day. But I learned something. Keep your eye on the boat. All right? Keep your knees straight. Keep your eye on the boat. And don't watch whatever might be happening around you. And eventually, I got the hang of it. Fortunately, in that day, there weren't cell phones with video. Otherwise... <laughs> Anyway, all right. But, here, but here's, here's the reality. Keep your eye on the power source. Keep your eye on where it's going. If you take your eyes off of that, you see waves and you're in serious trouble. And by the way, my silly illustration is illustrated by our God a night on the Sea of Galilee in a mighty storm when the Apostle Peter, not yet an apostle, he's, a, he's a, a disciple at that point, but he's walking on the water. Be careful not to criticize Peter. If he was in the boat, he was without peace. But he looked out across the water and he saw the Prince of Peace. And I admire his faith. Lord, let me walk to you. Now, how many here would have had the courage that night to say, okay, the boat's a dangerous place. I think I'll get out on the water and walk to Jesus. Any takers? Okay. But that's what he did. Now, here's the point. As long as he kept his mind, his eyes, stayed on thee, peace. But what happened when he took his eyes off the Prince of Peace and started looking at waves and, and feeling the wind and the what happened? Well, Jesus had to fish for a fisherman. But get the point. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Let me give you another practical passage that helps us. Because of our relate, this isn't the power of positive thinking, folks, but a passage that helps us when we keep our minds, our hearts, our eyes on the Lord. Psalm 119, 165. Again, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law. Now, let's, let's start combining. Let's, let's connect the dots here. Thou will keep him and perfect peace, or great peace, well, they have that love thy law. Now, stop. 
God will give you great peace if you love what the wonderful counselor has said. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What does it mean to be offended? It means to cause to stumble. Literally, the wording here is, and nothing will cause them to stumble. So in my heart, I have great peace because I am focused on what the mighty counselor, the, the wonderful counselor has said to me. I'm going to continue to believe that no matter what other voices are in my head or even what my flesh is trying to convince me is true. I'm going to push all that out by the grace of God. I'm going to fill my mind with his wonderful counselor, his, his counsel, his word, his law, and I can't stumble. I didn't say that. God said that. Now, there is a part of that word offend also. This is a good translation because what often happens is people will offend us. We allow them to take our peace and then we stumble. Again, going back to what I said earlier, my burden that in this church we, we dwell in peace together as a reflection of the Prince of Peace that lives in our hearts. But it's so easy for a Christian to get offended by another Christian because we expect them to think about something the way we think about something. And that even happens in ministry. Well, I've got this burden and I think it should be done this way. Somebody else, well, they're, they're doing something another way they should have known what I was thinking. Really? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Here's the reality, and I've used this many times in counseling sessions. I've had to look at somebody and say, you know, the very fact that you're offended means you don't love the Lord's law. There is some aspect of his law that right now you're disregarding because you don't have peace, and you don't want them to have peace either. So let's not talk about what you think and what I think. Let's talk about what God says in his law. What has the wonderful counselor said so that we can get back to peace? None of us are perfect. We don't live on a perfect earth. There's only one who is perfect, and he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father with the Father who is perfect. So let's not think about perfect. Let's think about peace because that's where God wants us to live. Let's be real. He is, his name is Prince of Peace. I hope you're encouraged this morning. When Jesus went back to heaven, the last thing he said to the disciples is, I will be with you even to the end of this age. He tells them, in this world, there's not going to be peace. But I leave peace with you, not as the world gives, give I it unto you. You believe in God, believe in me. 
And so back to Isaiah 9, verse 6. Would you read it with me? Let's read it together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so our Prince of Peace has laid out for us his plan that will ultimately bring things under his authority. I rejoice this morning that we can read this prophecy and know that the prophecies pertaining to Jesus' first coming were all fulfilled. By the way, they were fulfilled literally. There's another whole body of prophecy that points to his second coming. And that all is going to get fulfilled literally. He's coming back. But as we await his return, the one described in this verse lives in your heart. So as his will is done in heaven, someday he will reign over an earthly kingdom. A thousand years. Every act of government will be regulated according to his wonderful counsel. So you can have peace when our government is ignoring his counsel. And he will reign with an everlasting father forever and ever. His everlasting father. So praise God, this child was born. Thank God, this son was given. And he offers us peace. Whatever God has said to your heart this morning on, uh, out of this text, I hope that you will meet God if you don't have peace. Come to him if you're not saved. Believe on him for salvation. And Christian, if you've got a troubled heart this morning, and the Lord was tested in all points as we are, so he understands if there's, if you have a noisy soul, he, he understands. But he's offering you to return to that position of lasting peace. I hope that whatever it is, you'll bring your mind into agreement with God's work that you'll come kneel before the Lord, the Prince of Peace, and don't leave here today without having His peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son. In Israel, those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. Now we know that many rejected the light. But as many as receive Him... You give the power to become a son of God, even to those who will believe on your name. If there's anyone here today who is religious, but in their heart they know they're not saved, they don't have peace, would you help them to come to you today? And Lord, as, as Christians, as your disciples, Lord, that peace can leave us in an instant when we take our eyes off of you and circumstances, storms come into our lives that thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We can turn to you and your authority leads us back to peace and blessing. 
Lord, help us to live accordingly. And keep us in that perfect peace because our our minds are stayed on thee. Now have your way as we conclude this service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.